Hope Church. Welcome on this uh, kind of rainy, potential thunderstorms in the area today. Kind of nice that we are an underground church this morning. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> morning, if there are any issues, probably safer than your own home where you are right now. So anyway, uh, so good decision to be here uh, today. So we're going to continue in our study in the book of 1 Samuel. Um, we also want to recognize um, that this is you know, Palm Sunday. Um, we'll talk a little bit um, about that. It ties in actually this morning. Um, and we remember this, that Jesus rode um, on the, the colt into Jerusalem. And the people waved palm branches and laid palm branches um, in the path. And that the king rode on a humble animal, um, ultimately uh, to be humiliated and to suffer and die uh, for us. And so we're thankful for that this morning. Um, so this morning we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17, and in our, our lessons so far we've seen you know, these transitions in Israel um, as by their own kind of demands they've moved to having a king. The Lord acquiesces to their desire because he also has a plan, and he'll use their unhealthy desires even um, according to his, his plan and his will um, in preparing for the true king of the universe uh, to arrive on the scene. But we saw that, uh, that the, the blessing and the spirit of the Lord had been removed um, from King Saul, been transferred uh, to David. He's been anointed, but that was just by Samuel in terms of that's what the Lord has done. But the fulfillment, the, the fullness of that isn't seen yet. Uh, but we're going to move a step closer uh, this morning um, in 1 Samuel 17. So uh, we have a couple really key events here, and this at the beginning of chapter 18 to set that up. Um, now this morning, this is a story that most people, even if they have, you know, did not grow up in you know, church or going to Sunday school or anything like that, still are familiar with the phrase, you know, the story of David and Goliath. Um, and so we're going to look at that this morning and hopefully draw out a few things that, you know, aren't normal, um, normally seen, you know, in, in your story. And so uh, let's uh, go to Lord in prayer and then we'll read the first 11 verses of 1 Samuel 17. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege to be here this morning to worship you and to remember you. We thank you, Lord, that you are a holy and awesome God who is able to save by few or by many, um, who is able to, you're able to accomplish your will uh, with or without um, people agreeing with you and joining in with you. Lord, we pray that though we would be in your will and seek your will, desire to be in fellowship with you and in your presence, and thank you that we can sing our praises to you this morning. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So in chapter 17, verse 1, Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Succoth, which belonged to Judah, and the camp between Succoth and Azekah, and Ephesus Damim. Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah, 
and drew up in battle array to encounter the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with the valley between them. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was clothed with scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. He also had bronze greaves on the head of his spear, um, weighed, or sorry, let me, let me back up, just skip to verse. Verse 6, he also had bronze greaves on his legs and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the head of his spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield carrier also walked before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and you servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Again, the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So once again, the Philistines have come uh, to fight against Israel and to you know, to oppress them, to, to try to, um, you know.
He weighed 400, he weighed over 440 pounds at almost nine feet tall. That is a large human being. But I mean, and he was, you know, he could move, he could, he could get around, you know, like he wasn't just like stuck somewhere. He was, he was active. So in all of human history, is it possible that we have some outliers that are even taller than him? I mean, yeah, it is. It doesn't seem, you know, reasonable to us, but, you know, on the other side of it, you know, if you've got, like, you've got what's quote-unquote standard, not normal, but, you know, standard, and then you have standard deviations, okay, going either direction. There are people that are much shorter than is standard, and there are people who are much taller than is, you know, expected as well. And so, you know, he's, he's a... A giant, literally, a giant. You know, like what we would consider a giant of a person. A a very large person. Um, And there's some other very large people mentioned in the the scriptures. And so, you know, you can either take the the approach that the people here were were not exaggerating the, the reality or that they exaggerated it numerous times as there's other stories and other people being given as quite, quite large in these biblical, um, biblical days. So um, then the weight uh, of just the, what he's wearing on his, on his chest was about 125 pounds. So you have to be a pretty... See if it works that time. Uh, he is extremely um, terrified. That other, and that again, if the Philistines had brought out somebody who was like, which is what the other text would give you, somebody who's about six foot six, and Saul is over six feet tall. For his lifetime. So to think that he, you know, he's just going to be terrified of somebody who's a little bit taller than him, nah, not really. Not really. But he is terrified of Goliath. He, he's like, person to person, I don't have a chance. That's obviously his attitude. He is 
He is terrified. And for a warrior to say that, that's some humble power right there. You know, for a king to say that, for the king of Israel, of his people, and he's looking at his people and going, I couldn't do it. We, be, we just get slaughtered. I'll get slaughtered, and then y'all are going to get slaughtered. So we just got to stand here and figure out, try to figure out what we're going to do. So that's where we're, where we're at. Verse 12, now David was the son of the Ephraite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, and who had eight sons, and the man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. And the three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to battle. The th- names of the three sons who were in battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul, but David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. Now, there, okay, we see the, the oldest sons. We saw them in chapter um, 16. We see David being the youngest, uh, but yet he was the one who was anointed. And it says at this point, you know, um, David kind of comes and goes from Saul. You remember he had been playing, you know, plays the harp. He comes, he goes, he He's in, in and out of situation. But in verse 17, it says, Jesse said to his son David, Now take for yourselves an ephah of the dried grain and these ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp, and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand, and see how your brothers fare, and bring back news of them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. Well, they're, or they're not fighting yet. They're prepared to fight, right? I mean, that's the, the idea there. But they're in conflict. Um, but the physical of man-to-man hasn't happened yet. So, you know, we have this food taken. I Just a little note here. I mean, this sounds, you got some dried grain. You got some bread. You got some cheese. I'm down, you know, with, with, with these food choices here. Um, they'll do that all day. But verse 20. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper, and took the things, and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle. But Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was, a, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Tax season right now. It's kind of funny. You get a, you get, hey, you kill this big old giant, kind of get us out of the, the bond that we're in. Your family's going to be tax exempt. You know, that's like a little extra bonus. You get a wife, you get some riches, you get tax exempt status. You know, there's a little package deal for you. If we can get anybody willing to go out there and fight this giant. And everybody's kind of like, you know, that same thing going to do me any good when I'm dead. You know, like, and then nobody in my family's going to get these things. So, kind of, what's the point? You know, right? But David spoke to the man, verse 26, saying, What shall be done for this man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For, this, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So if you ever wondered where that phrase came from, 
uncircumcised Philistine. Here you go. Here you go. Um, you know, he's making a, a contrast thing of, you know, this one who basically is just a way of him saying this one who worships fights false idols is going to come and fight against us, you know, who worship the true and living God, defy the armies of the living God. And the people answered him saying, in this, in this manner saying, so shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David and said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? So then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing, and these people answered him as the first ones did. Now here's an interesting thing, because you have sibling rivalry and jealousy. You know, we've seen it previously. You know, if you go back to the book of Genesis, you find it there on on numerous occasions. Just, you know, one instance being um, Joseph with his his brothers um, who sold him into slavery. Um, You have, you know, it's just a sad... Um, it's a sad thing because, you know, I'm sure once Eliab and the others had been passed over, you know, by Samuel and said, you're not the one, you're not the one, you're not the one, your youngest brother, he's the one, you know, and the youngest ones usually have it the easiest anyway, because, you know, by that point, the parents are a little more tired of, um, all the discipline, you know, the, the the youngest tends, I say this as a youngest, the youngest tends to, to get away with a little bit more, get away with some things that the oldest certainly would not have gotten away with, right? Everybody, anybody who's the youngest, you're, or, or actually anybody who's an oldest right there says preach, you know, like that's true, you know. But, so there's a little, there's, but there's a, an extra level here because that oil went on David and not on Eliab. And so, you know, that's, that's a sad thing that they're not, you know, his brothers there are not, not with him. But in verse 31, it says, Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. And then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. So Saul tries to give David a, a reality check. A reality check of like, you obviously see the physical size difference between the two of you, right? But not only that, he doesn't just have size on you. He has, he's been, he's been killing people longer than you've been alive. It's kind of the message there. Like, you're a youth from his youth. He's been a mighty warrior. Like, like he has an experience level on you that you can't touch. That's Saul's message to David. But listen to, to David's response because he has a different reality. He has a different reality, different perspective. He says this, but David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. Used to? I mean, he just came like, you know, a few hours ago. (laughs) You know, like he used to watch the father's sheep, you know. But listen to this, what he says. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. 
And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said to him, The Lord, Yahweh, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Now, that's some pretty intense stuff. You know, he, he, he was a shepherd. He was responsible to take care of the sheep. And again, we've talked about that already a little bit, that parallel between, you know, David and, and Jesus in terms of being a, that shepherd and, and Jesus coming as the good shepherd. And one of the shepherd's roles is, you know, to protect. But, but you know, David didn't, didn't have, like, you know, big old sword and, you know, all these different things. You know, he, he, he had... Uh, his wits, <laughs> he had some basic materials. Um, and it's a little unclear here because obviously you know the story that, that, that David uses um, the sling um, in, in the fight, but it's not obvious that that's how he approaches the lion and the, and the bear here. It says he struck him, but it, it's not you know, really explicit about you know, struck him with what? Did like, he use a stone first and wound you know, the, the lion or the bear or, he, you know, at some point here, he is, he's hand-to-hand with the bear. He's hand-to-hand with the lion. And, you know, we kind of know that when humans fight, you know, animals, like, that usually doesn't go too well most of the time. That doesn't go in the human's favor. Now, I will say, you know, I think most people back in these days had a little bit more just, like, everyday strength than people today have because of the type of work most people like most people in our cultural context like most people you know like work out to get strong right these people didn't have to work out to get strong there wasn't a gym like life was a gym (laughs) you know (laughs) life was their gym you know it's like you know and, and and how they had to do work is a little bit different um, than a lot of us now, and and here's the thing: when you run across people who have done work, work like work, life is their gym, and and you go and work out beside them, and 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 we learn a couple things about endurance that that gym strength doesn't necessarily match up to their like go dig a ditch strength. You know, the dude in the weight room who's like, yeah, I can, I can pump some iron. And then he goes out there with the guy who literally digs ditches all day and the guy who pumps iron lasts like 30 minutes and he's underneath a tree like sucking wind and begging for water. Like there's a, there's a difference. There's a difference. And so David has this, but the main thing he has is that the Lord is with him. The Lord empowers him. He knows the Lord has delivered him and given him you know, a super supernatural strength when he's needed it. And he's been victorious before. You see, he's been prepared. He's been prepared for this moment. You know, and the thing about it, when, when David went to fight the lion and the bear, he probably wasn't thinking, you know, the Lord is preparing me for some awesome stuff in the future. Probably wasn't thinking that. You're probably thinking, 
man, I'm, I'm glad the Lord delivered me from that bear. I'm glad the Lord delivered me from that lion. Like, hoping more of those don't come around. You know, he's not thinking about, when he's going through the trial, he's not thinking about the future. And that's how it, how it is a lot of times. You know, when you're, when you're in the middle of a trial, you know, most of us are going through something really hard. Our, our thoughts aren't to like years down the road. You know what? The Lord's preparing me for something. I'm going to need what I have here. No, we're focused on the trial. But, you know, as, as believers, you know, we should develop some maturity that when we are going through trials, we should be able to stop and breathe a second and go, you know what? God's good. And, and he's, you know, this is going to be helpful and, and needful down the road. So let me, let me tackle this trial. Let me embrace this trial. Like David embraced the, the lion and the bear. Because I, I know the Lord's good, and I know he's going to use it for good, even though it's hard right now, even though it's, it's painful right now. But he trusts that Yahweh will deliver him. God of Israel will deliver him. See, he's prepared for those situations when the statistical odds that humans would come up with, well, that, that calculation isn't in his favor. Imagine back in the day, people were like putting their odds on David, <laughs> David and Goliath. You know, what, what would Vegas have given him in terms of his, his odds? You know, what have been the over-under on, like, seconds David survives? You know, like, you know, people be betting on that stuff. Because, you know, humans are wicked, so we bet on stuff like that. So now, verse 38, Saul clothed David with his armor and put a bronze helmet on his head, and he also clothed him with a coat of mail, and David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I can't walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. See, Saul, again, you know, he wants to put his paradigm onto, onto David. You know, this is what you do when you go to battle. You put on this, you know, on, on these sort of weapons and you fight this way. But David's not used to that. You know, he hasn't been in the army. He hasn't, he hasn't put on, you know, things like this. Even most of the people in the army didn't have... You know, Saul was like, we see he's one of the few with, with actual real equipment. And David didn't, didn't have these things. He wasn't used to them. And that, you know, being slowed down isn't going to do him much good against Goliath. You know, he needs to be nimble. He needs to be quick. Um, he needs to be able to dodge that, that spear that... Goliath has, and, and I didn't talk about that spear, so let's talk about that spear just for a minute. That said that spear was as thick as a, a weaver's beam. Well, a weaver's beam is about two to two and a half inches thick. That's like, it's not like, like this. Like, I mean, that's big. And the, what's on the end of it, the, the, the damage side of it, weighs like 15 to 17 pounds. That is a ballistic weapon that is going to go you know right through a human and just obliterate them like that's 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 goliath's goal when he's holding that thing is to throw that right through david david needs to be able to move right he's like i can't be stuck in one spot you gotta be able to move so verse 40 then he took his staff in his hand 
And he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag and a pouch which he had. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistines. So the Philistine came and began to draw near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before, before him. That's before Goliath. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy, or ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. So this Philistine comes out, and he is angry. You have sent this young man. He's nothing. You know, he feels disrespected. This is the best you, you're going to bring him to me? This is the best you've got? He feels incredibly disrespected. He would have felt at least a little bit respected if Saul had come out there in his armor. Like, okay, I'm going to kill your king. But he would at least feel a little bit respected that you sent your king or you sent your best warrior or whoever it was in, in like human eyes, but you sent this dude who doesn't even have any armor on, and he's just like, a, you know, a late teenager. You know, t- you know he's, he's what, 18 years old, something like that? If that, you're going to bring him to me? And so he curses David out. He uses the names of his gods and curses David out. And, say, and, and talk some trash. You know, I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. But David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of the hosts. The God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Now David, he's talking here too. Let's just be real clear. He is talking big. He's talking big. Because he has God on his side. He says, you defied the true and living God is his, is his main argument. And that is God's going give it, to give it to you, but, but here's how this is going to happen. He's like, I'm going to strike you. He's like, I'm going to take your head from you. And, you know, like where, where Goliath, you just left it like you're taking me down. I'm just letting everybody know that this is going to be so everybody here knows. Because all y'all <laughs> going to get some today. I mean, that's what he sends across. I mean, I'm not just coming after you. I'm coming after your whole army. Like, God's going to give us victory today, and, and you're going down. And, I, and, and you, wanna, you talk about you're going to feed me to the birds and the beasts? No, we're going to feed you and, and all your army to the birds and to the beasts. And he brings it back heavy. He is showing, he is telling Goliath, I am not afraid. And the thing about it is, it's not cocky it's not arrogant he's not saying that in his flesh he is boldly speaking the truth as he is empowered by the spirit of god to do so there's a difference you see that philistine 
have been playing psychological games on Israel for 40 days. You know, and it doesn't say this explicitly, but what I'm thinking there is that there's some, whether it was 40 days or a different number, that there was some sort of time limit that Goliath had had. You're going to send somebody out to me in this number of days or we're just coming in. You know, that's, that's I think there's a, a reason to believe that implication. I mean, they're not going to stay there for like a year or something. You know, I mean, it's, it's going to be limited in scope. Tell those, a lot of times that works. You know, we see that. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to us. It's like, why are you going to give the enemy time to figure things out? I've never really understood that. You're going to attack, attack, you know, but this is how they played it in this situation. And then this is what happens in verse 48. So it was when the Philistine arose and came near and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took the sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now, again, this is one of those points where people are sometimes like, really? I mean, you know, that's a little far-fetched. And guy kills a big old giant with a sling and a stone. I mean, they envision like a kid's like slingshot, you know, like ping or something like that. This is not that. This is a sling. This stone, it's got some weight to it, sits in this pouch, and this sling gets rotating, moving. And when it comes out, it's going somewhere between 75 and 100 miles an hour. It is, you see, David came at him with a handgun or a rifle. I mean, I'm just, I mean, just like, it's like, okay, you got this big old spear and javelin thing. You know, I've got a 44 Magnum. That's, I mean, that's the impact. Now, I mean, I'm just, because people do study, so they say this guy, you know, he slings one of these rocks, hits a target. And they say it takes about 3,000 Newtons to, you know, if you're hitting the head, forehead to like, Damage that brain to where it's not going to function anymore, where there's still some activity going on. But, I mean, it's pretty much over. It's a matter of, like, how many minutes a person has left. It's about 3,000. Force from that stone hitting that target, and this isn't, you know, God doing this, not David. God doing this, 3,600 dunes. Like, more than enough. Because that stone sinks into his forehead. See, these guys with these stones, and, and, and this sort of weapon has been used in warfare throughout the centuries. There were some Romans who were really good with these things, you know, as well. But it's, it's what makes this moment here, it's the situation, the scene, you know, the landscape of the situation, the moment, and to be able to do this in the time and the accuracy. Like, we know these 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 rocks that go 75 to 100 miles an hour, we know this thing can be, you know, it's a ballistic weapon and it's plenty enough to kill a person. But to, to make that shot. Now what David is going to tell you is, but there's two things. One is this. I'm pretty sure David practiced a lot with that thing. You know, when he's out watching the sheep, 
I mean, what are you doing a lot of time? With, I mean, the sheep are eating there. You know, like, like you're going to do some stuff with your, your time and, and sharpening your skills. So I, there's, there's, there's certainly preparation that went in. He picked the sling as his weapon of choice because he knew he was good with that and that he could do the job with that. And that was his strategic advantage. Because before Goliath can pull his javelin back, he can already have that stone where it needs to be. I mean, because as he's running, I mean, he's got that, he, he's cocked. He's, he's ready to fire. Before Goliath can get close enough to pull his javelin back, he's already dead. So he, he knew what he was doing, but what David's going to tell you is, the Lord gave me that victory, and he directed that stone, and he deserves all the glory. And both of those things are true. See, he had to be ready and prepared and to do the work, and the Lord had to work and, and, and use him. You know, we say this, this is just a, a lesson here. We say this about the Scripture. See, the, when you're in a situation and you need the scripture to give counsel, to give wisdom, or to help someone, or even in your own life, to know what is right and wrong or to know what to do, the Holy Spirit can bring back to your memory what you have studied, what you have memorized. You said, I've put, you know, hidden his word in my heart so I might not sin against him. The Lord can use that, but he uses what your preparation the Lord doesn't bring verses to your mind that you've never read, that you've never studied, that you've never put the work in for. No, he uses what you've done in preparation. And that's true a lot of times in life. The Lord honors the work that you've put in for that moment. That's why we say, hey, student, you're a believer. Like, you don't not study and go in and pray and say, Lord, for your glory and honor, give me all that I need for this test. No, no, what, what, we ask, what you do is you study and you work hard and you're prepared for the moment, and then when you sit down and you're going to take that test and you say, Lord, please bring back everything that I've remembered, everything that I've studied, and give me wisdom and discernment and empower me and help me to do this well for your glory and for your honor. You're not just winging it. And so as followers of Jesus in life, we don't just wing it. I went to Wingate, and we would say that if you didn't study for your test, because the people from there called it wing it. And it was like, did you study? No, I'm going to wing it. Wing it. You know, like, you know, but that's not how we're supposed to live life. We're supposed to live with purpose, with intention, with preparation. So when these moments come, we're ready for them. Because we all have Goliaths. They're just not nine foot six, wearing 125 pounds of chain mail and, or more, and carrying a spear the size you know, that's massive and trying to pin you to, to the ground with it. Different Goliaths. Spiritual battles and battles over ideas and right and wrong, ethics, morality most of all for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those are our battles. We're to fight them in love and truth and with wisdom and discernment.
And sometimes we want to put all this armor on to protect ourselves. We need to, and there is a place to put the armor on. Certainly there's the the armor we see in Ephesians chapter 6. I'm not knocking that by any means. But we also need to have wisdom and discernment to know in the situation what is the best tool to use. Now, David does exactly what he said he was going to do. He takes that sword, and he cuts off Goliath's head, and that's all gross and everything, but it's not, like, abnormal for human history. This is what is is done, and there's a psychological thing here to this as well as the Philistines. Like, first they're shocked when their giant goes down, and then when his head comes off, it's like, okay, that actually did happen. That is That is over, over. It was over. I thought it might be over, but now it's like, no, it's over, over. And so they flee, and all these Israelites who were, like, scared to death, like, peeing on themselves over the giant coming toward their direction day after day, now their psychology has changed. See, nothing has changed Except for one, one giant has fallen, right? But for everybody else, I mean, now, now that, whole, that whole thing is different. Wait, we thought, the Philistines were like, we, we thought we couldn't be defeated. And, and Goliath was the proof of that. And most of the Israelites are like, we thought we couldn't win. And Goliath was the proof of that. Now that proof is gone. That's been disproven. So they have the advantage. And they charge after the Philistines. Verse 52, And the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley of the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Shereem, even as far as Gath and Ekron. And the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. When Saul, said, when Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And so the king said, Inquire whose son this young man is. Then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? So David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse the Bethlehemite. And again, it's just, it's victory. Um, you know, Saul had, had obviously met David before, but now it's like, okay, who are you really? Like, you, you know, or you just dude to play the harp. Like, that helped me sometimes, you know, but he's not that interested. But now he's got a great interest in who, who David is. But now we're going to finish with 1 Samuel 18, verses 1 through 4. It's just four more verses. Y'all hang with me, but this is kind of key. It says, now when he had finished speaking to Saul, and it's the same scene, so we want to keep the scene together. When he finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan, that's David's son, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. 
And again, we've talked about Jonathan before because he was one of our forgotten heroes in that series. I just want to remind us this morning how big this is. Saul is the king's son. Sorry, Jonathan is the king's son. Jonathan recognizes that David is the chosen one. Recognizes that. And where most people would have viewed David now as the enemy, David must now die because he's a threat to my kingdom. Jonathan loves David, willfully gives him his position because his love for the Lord and for Israel and for David was greater than his love for his own ambition, his own position, his own power, his own wealth, his own name, his own glory. Do we realize how unusual this is? And some of you are think, well, I don't know. I don't know if it's that unusual. Well, he's never been in this position or haven't looked at the history of mankind and seen what people do when they feel like their kingdom is at threat. But even today, there are these things. These are, these are still common ideas in society. You know, people don't want a teammate to succeed because that teammate's going to get the glory that they want. You see, most people aren't just like, you know what? As long as this team wins, I'm happy to sit on the bench. I'm happy to sit on the bench and cheer on my teammates as long as the team wins. I mean, people are all going to like say, you know, like, well, the key things, team. But, but I mean, I'm talking about in the deep recesses of the heart when it's like 1 a.m. Come on. Few people have that. When you find it, cherish it because it's rare. It's rare. There's a natural jealousy and a striving, a natural desire of the flesh to, to have the first place, to be viewed at as higher. And we have this, see, we have this idea in our, in our heads that we've been given that there are such limited resources that if somebody else has, it means they've taken it from you. We, you see, we, we believe this scarcity, often in situations where there isn't scarcity. Now, here, there is a true scarcity because there's only one throne and one person can sit on that throne. There's a scarcity of resource or, or scarcity of position. But Jonathan's willing to give that up because you know what? He knows that his life can be just fine without being the king. That his life could be better if somebody else is the king if that's what God wants for that person and what God wants from him is something else. You see, he knows that his life isn't going to have its greatest fulfillment in striving for something that's not his. That didn't truly belong to him because it was the Lord who would give it and the Lord who would take it away. And so there's something there that's beautiful that we should, we should cherish those verses. Those first four verses of 1 Samuel chapter 18, we should cherish 
those verses because they are such an example to us. You know, it's popular. We have these um, these bracelets that say, I am second. Those are pretty popular. And what does that mean? Well, it's like God's first and I'm second. Well, that sounds, that sounds great, but really? Is that that hard? I mean, you're talking about the king of the universe. You're talking about God. Is it, is it really hard to be like, well, God's first and I'm second? Well, I mean, it is in the fact that we don't want to do that. But in terms of like just objectively speaking, for you to acknowledge, yeah, God's higher than I am. I mean, we have to do it, and that's like the first step to salvation, to, to humble ourselves, like God is great and I'm small, right? Or God's first and I'm second, right? But objectively, it's like, okay, well, you agreed with reality. I mean, congratulations. You know, I mean, you agreed with an objective reality. That's, that's, that's great. But we don't, bracelets, how about this? I am third, fourth, fifth, I am last. You say, okay, come on now, that's just being ridiculous. But the scripture tells us to esteem others higher than ourselves. To look on ourselves, we're supposed to look on ourselves correctly, not too high, not too low, but in our proper place that God has given us. See, we're supposed to have this attitude that Jonathan had that we're willing to say, hey, you come up and take my spot. You go higher, I'll go lower. Jesus says the first will be last, the last will be first. You see, I mean, his economy is different. He says he wants to be great and his kingdom must be servant of all. Well, a lot of times we don't want that. We don't want to be servants. We don't want to put other people first. Or second, put them, you know, God first, others, people second, ourselves third. Sometimes we don't want to do that. What Jonathan did, what makes him heroic. You see, Jonathan defeated his Goliath that day too. See, David's not the only one that had a Goliath. Jonathan had one too. And that was the desire to hold on to something, the natural desire to hold on to something that the Lord didn't have for him to hold on to. He won victory over his Goliath. When he gave his robe, his armor, his sword, his bow and his belt, all the things that signified that he was the prince, that he was the next king. He gave them all up and gave them to David. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And Jesus, our Savior, though a king, he came humbly. It says in John chapter 12, Verse 12, on the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard, that's coming for Passover, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, 
took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. And these things his disciples did not understand at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. See, it had been promised in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, there was a, a prophecy, there will be no end to the increase. Well, let's actually just go back to verse 6. For a child shall be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of his peace or the throne of David and over his kingdom on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So that there would be one who would sit on the throne of David, but that, you know, that transition had to happen where Jonathan had to give his throne up. David had to ultimately take the throne. It happens later down the road, again, in its fullness but we see Jonathan, the willing participant in it. We see Jesus humbly riding on the, the colt, the young donkey, as he went in. Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming. Seated on a donkey's coat, from the prophecy of Zechariah 9, Chapter 9, verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. It's beautiful that though he's a great king, our Lord came humbly, you know, for us. And he is going to sit on the throne of David forever and ever. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but he was a humble servant and he teaches us his expectation of us is to be as he is. We're following Jesus, yet we have to understand his expectations. Otherwise, we follow the wrong way, the wrong thing. You know, we have to understand his expectations. One of the key expectations of Jesus for us is that we will be servants. We will humbly serve others and we'll put others ahead of ourselves. That's contrary to our flesh, and we need the Lord's help. But we can say what David said. The battle is the Lord's. We can say to our own Goliath, even the own Goliath of our flesh that wants to live a selfish life, and we can have victory over it saying, the battle is the Lord's, and the Lord will give me strength over my flesh to walk in the Spirit. The Lord can accomplish it through his zeal and for his desire. And the Lord you know, is the good shepherd, and he can protect me from myself and from outside enemies as well and outside influences and the corruption of this world. 
But you know, that's something, David again was a willing participant. He said, I'll go. You know, the Lord wasn't making David do something that he didn't want to do. The Lord wasn't like, you don't want to go fight this giant, but I'm going to make you. See, so we want the giants in our life, the giants of sin and flesh and everything in our life to be defeated. We have to be willing participants in that. Lord, you know this is the Goliath and it's got to die. This is a sin in my flesh and it's got to die. I need you to be ruthless with it and remove it, take it out. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you now and we confess to you that for most of us, our biggest Goliaths are our our flesh, our unhealthy desires, uh, put ourselves above you and above others. So Lord, we pray for victory this morning. And in the other Goliaths of life, in this world that we fight, help us to remember that we do not fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against spiritual forces of darkness. Lord, we know there's a lot of darkness in our world. And so please help us to live as light and to be bold, loving, and truthful. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.